and coming up, I believe, next Sunday or the Sunday thereafter, he's going to actually be focusing upon uh, Jacob's uh, wrestling with the Lord and living and just the amazement that uh, Jacob had as he passed through that. And that's the basic context. And as we were working through this uh, plan that Dennis has, we were thinking about uh, I, this particular uh, prayer of David, what an outstanding example it is to us as to how to pray. And particularly it has, it has to do with sustaining uh, the gratitude that we uh, ought to have to the Lord in all our days and ways. So let's read together the whole of the chapter, 2 Samuel 7. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be a prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name like the name of a, the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up from your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision. Nathan spoke to David. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. 
And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. There is none like you. There is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people, whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you establish for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house. And do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God. And your words are true. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken. And with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Amen. God's holy word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Unto you, O Lord, we lift up our hearts and our minds that we might be transformed by truth, your truth, your revelation, as you gave it once to David and now to us afresh, that we might learn the lessons of faith, might be filled with gratitude, might persevere in gratitude as we seek your face. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Speaking of gratitude, very grateful to be able to preach today and to bring you the word of God. It's been a few months. It's probably been a good thing for me to uh, sit on the other side of the pulpit for a while, and I have very much appreciated your pastor's preaching. Sought to learn from him, although you'll find that uh, that not may not be too deep yet, but I am learning in terms of methodology and uh, the way that he seeks your spiritual good. Very grateful uh, for your pastor. Grateful for our congregation here, our congregation there in the overflow. Mindful of our nursery workers who are caring for our infants. Uh, thankful for them as well. And uh, learned this morning that Song He is listening, I believe in Korea, but maybe in Indonesia. It's John Abbott's uh, friend, and uh, she's watching on the uh, YouTube broadcast along, we hope, with a few other people. Uh, this morning, and we're grateful for all of these as well. Grateful, as we're speaking of gratitude, that several people are here with us today 
uh, that God has delivered. Uh, Debbie is with us this morning, and we're thankful for her answered prayer there, continued progress, grateful for uh, my goddaughter, Virginia, that is here with us this morning. You're not going to find her upstairs. She's downstairs with your pastor, in case you're wondering. Uh, but uh, very grateful for these uh, healings, blessings, answers to prayer, and uh, grateful for each and every one of you as well that you've chosen to be a part of this time of worship. Now, as we look at our present text, it's a long text, and we're not going to be focusing upon all of it because of the time, though uh, volumes have been written on it. As I said, it's one of the most important texts in all of Scripture. That's not just my opinion. Uh, Ralph Davis, in his commentary on 2 Samuel, makes that very point, that this is one of the most important texts. And theologically, it fits within the plan of redemption. And the average reader of the scriptures, you and I, when we open our Bible, can readily see the eloquence, the majesty, the wonder of the promises here presented and their relevance to us. Because what is here promised is that we would have a king who would rule in righteousness and justice, a descendant of King David. And we need that king today more than ever. We need the king that was promised to David. But we're coming at the text a little bit differently. Uh, again, Ralph Davis was a mentor of mine and a teacher uh, and a friend, and he opens this text up and says, we want to see what this text tells us about God. And indeed, that is always true, that we want to understand what the scriptures reveal to us about God. But there's also a sense in which we can learn from the practice of David himself in the way that he responds to the prophetic word of Nathan and grabs a hold of the Lord, prays courageously to the Lord so that he might see, in fact, those promises fulfilled, prizing every word that the Lord has spoken. And so we want to learn in this uh, series on prayer so that we might be instructed in solid, grateful, per, uh, persevering prayer. Now, as you uh, get to know me, you'll find out that I'm a do-it-yourself kind of guy. And uh, I was fixing my cars uh, long before YouTube came out. But I'm very grateful for YouTube. I can fix them faster. But one of the stories that Sherry and I share was uh, going up into northern Wisconsin on our honeymoon, this quaint little lake and a distant cottage far away from civilization. And there, my Volkswagen sprung an oil leak right there in the woods. And we thought, well, what are our options here? It was before cell phones. Uh, and uh, got out my little handy set of tools and tore down that engine on my honeymoon and uh, put it back together again. And it, we made it out of the woods. So that was, uh, that was a blessing. Uh, in a sense, uh, David's prayer could be viewed as a YouTube video. Here's how to seek the Lord with gratitude and how to persevere in gratitude. The first thing that uh, we want to recognize that David picks up on so astutely and amazingly, he, he was a man after God's own heart. That's Samuel's own affirmation of David. Uh, he, he, he believes the word of God and he hears 
the word of God. And one of the keys to persevering with gratitude before the throne of grace is just that, listening carefully to the word of the Lord. And how do we see that in our text? Well, the beginning of David's response to the prophet Nathan's words, he says, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house, that's verse 18, that you have brought me thus far? Meekness. Now you would make that connection with gratitude. Gratitude affirms the fact that we have received and we say thank you. Maybe it's a kind deed. Maybe it's a gift that somebody bestows upon you. And with gratitude, you say thank you very much. Your kindness means a great deal to me. And surely we recognize that the one who sends the rain and uh, opens up the clouds that we might see the beauty of the heavens is one to whom we ought to be grateful. We ought to express our thanks and our gratitude. But what David does for us here is actually uh, build upon the prophetic word of Nathan in such a way that we recognize that he really gets what God is saying to him. And here we backtrack to verse 8 in our text. Now, therefore, you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from a pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and cut off all your enemies from before you. Notice what God is doing here through the prophet Nathan. And it's not hard to see. You saw it when we read it the first time. David wants to build a house for the Lord. And the Lord responds, no, David, I will build your house. You will not build my house. I will build your house. And you know the story of David. David was a mighty warrior, taken from uh, being a shepherd before the eyes of thousands of mighty men of Israel. He slew Goliath as a boy. And the crowds would chant, David has slain his thousands. He became a mighty warrior in Israel a mighty man among the mighty men, Joab and his uh, mighty force. When you read of the exploits of David, you realize here was a man with a strong arm and a sharp sword, and he dealt ruthlessly with the enemies of Israel. Not a man you would have toyed with. He was a man who easily could have said, I did it my way. But that was not David. And lest David forget, the Lord reminded him, I raised you up, and I cut off your enemies. It wasn't the other way around. You didn't build this kingdom. I built you, and I will build your house. Very, very important. Beloved, we don't dwell there enough. We tend to be a generation that moves on from the past. But we need to dwell there. You need to think about your story afresh, as David did in this text. Because when David prays, he says, Who am I? 
O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. David's amazed at what God has done with a little runt of a shepherd boy. And he is ready to give God the praise and the glory for all that he has done. It's an amazing aspect of David's response, and it's where you and I need to begin if we're going to begin with gratitude. You know, some people think gratitude is just having a positive attitude. You know, there are two kinds of people. For some, the cup is half empty and the other is half full, right? It's a personality trait we may be inclined to read into it. Or we might take it a step further, as Dave Ramsey does. You know, how are you doing today? Uh, better than I deserve, he said. We need to recognize that gratitude is not quaint. And it's not positivism or, or just uh, always having a smile on your face. Gratitude is rooted in truth. And by truth, we might recognize that that includes not only the rich soil, but also the rubbish of our lives. It takes root there in all of the manifold facets of our life. And today, as uh, Rob rightly said, you may be burdened as you come into worship. Maybe not. You may be overwhelmed. Maybe not. We come from different places and different times. One description is not sufficient for us. But this truth prevails, that whether times are tough or whether they are bright, Gratitude is the fruit of knowing truth and that God himself is the one who is at work and who raises us up for his purposes. And so we think, for instance, of 2 Corinthians chapter 1 where Paul exhorts us to take stock of our trials that we might be useful in kingdom purposes. Or James chapter 1 where we realize that it is through many afflictions that we enter into the kingdom of God. And we ought to be grateful for the fact that these bring about a perseverance in our life. You see, gratitude is not just the stuff of happy days. It is the stuff that ought to flow forth from the believer's life no matter what the reality is. And the reality is set forth according to truth in the word of God. One of the things that you need to see first and foremost in terms of pursuing gratitude is know God's word and know God's heart. And that's what David does. That's the first thing he does. The second thing he does here in our text, which is so uh, important for us to see, is that he, he prays to God not only about himself and his house, and I, that gets me excited. I, I'm I'm big on covenantal love of God, not only to me and to Sherry, but to my children. And early on, the Lord, when he convinced me of the covenant and the significance of uh, covenantal uh, promises, I embraced those wholeheartedly. When I enter into heaven, I want my children and grandchildren to recognize the glory of Christ. I want my great-grandchildren, children yet to be born, to know that Christ is altogether lovely in his redeeming work, just like you do. And David prized that. 
But it wasn't just about his family. And it wasn't just about his throne. And we see that in his prayer here. When he says, uh, here in, let's see, let me get the exact verse. Who is like your people? Verse 23. And who is like your people Israel? The one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people, whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. One of the important aspects of gratitude is linkage. You will not sustain a grateful life apart from the linkage that you share with God's people and God's family. We are not alone. God has called a people to himself. And this has been a strong emphasis of Dennis. I hear it from the pulpit. I hear it in our meetings together. Community, that's what we refer to it as. And what CVPC wants to be known for is a community of people who love one another and love the Lord God. David was a man about community. Yesterday at graduation, the uh, commencement speaker uh, spoke words we hear too often, I fear. The church is a mess, he said. Church is a mess. Beloved, David could have said that, but he rejoiced that the promises of God were for the people of God, for the community of faith, for the kingdom over which he ruled. You wish to be a person who is able to wrestle with God gratefully in whether trials or blessings, Uh, challenges or ease, you need to connect yourself to the people of God. Uh, Pastor George brought this out last week in his mission sermon, didn't he? When God shines his face upon us, he does it so that the nations might know the glory of God. How fitting it is to remind ourselves that our boat is linked together with all who make up the family of God. And David recognized that and was amazed by that. And you will find fertile soil here to be grateful. Grateful for God's blessing upon those that you know in our midst that where he has showered his favor. Grateful even for the trials that many endure as you are grateful for your own. Grateful that he disciplines us as sons. That's in our text as well, but also in the New Testament. Grateful that he has an abundant love that he manifests in the gospel and its preaching. Who is like your people, Israel? Here's the way to conceive of that. You can say the church is a mess. I'm okay with that. Uh, Pretty hard to argue differently. Uh, But always keep in mind that, as James Kennedy was so famously uh, would say, You know, for every time you point your finger, you've got three pointing back at you. And part of the reason the church is a mess is because you're a mess. 
And you'll never find a perfect church. But what you will find wherever there is a church is a miracle. A miracle of God's work. Grace upon grace showered upon a multitude of people. How wonderful it is to be numbered in that number. And as you wrestle with God, do as David did. What is Israel that you love Israel so much? Who is like them to be able to be the recipients of your redemptive love? And yet they are. They are your people. All over the world as people meet with the rising of the sun, the redemptive fruit of Christ's death are gathered together to praise and rejoice in his goodness. That's a reason for gratitude. It's God's work. David's life was not the fruit of David's work. God did it. The church is not the fruit of your labors. It is the fruit of God's redemptive purposes through Christ. Praise God for your labors. Praise God for David's mighty arm. But God is the one who builds his church. And I would just press upon you, particularly graduates that go out, high school, college graduates, you will not go wrong if you love what Christ loved, his bride and his church. But now... Uh, where you find in verse 28 what uh, probably should draw this all to a conclusion. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. You are God. The way to preserve gratitude as you wrestle with God is to keep that focus ever before you. You are God. You and I don't have an ounce of merit to present ourselves before the throne. Our righteousness, as Isaiah said, are but filthy rags. But you are God. And you have promised. You have promised. And what David does here in this text is to pray the promises of God. Now, so often our prayer life is reduced to the list that we give. Maybe you get, I hope, the list that we send out with our email here at CVPC. And you probably add to that a list of other names and other needs for healing, for light when the world seems dark, for happiness when people are sad, for deliverance from enemies and financial woes and the other kinds of things that uh, we recognize are part of the frailty of our life under the sun. And those things are all important, and it's a joy to intercede before the King of Kings for those uh, temporal needs that we face. And yet, what David does in this particular psalm 
is to teach us. And notice he did say in verse 19, this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. He intended this to be a guide to others and to us. What David does is show us that we ought to be men and women who pray the word of God and the promises of God. God has promised. Now may it be so. May we see what your word holds out for us fulfilled. May we delight in you as the one who answers prayer. I'm always uh, a bit troubled by the nomenclature of prayer and by the language we use. Sometimes we kind of get caught up and well, you know, according to Facebook, I've got uh, 250 people praying. Maybe 1,000 people praying. Maybe 20,000 people praying. And uh, we begin to reason, I'm in a good place because I've got so many people praying. Praise God for those who pray. Don't take this wrong. But it's not the prayers. It is the one to whom they pray. It is the God in heaven who hears, who answers prayer. And it is he that we pray to and trust in and believe as we seek his face. And let's just keep that clear in our minds. Grateful, yes, for those who come alongside of us as a part of a community to pray with us according to our needs. But ever mindful that it is the God who hears who answers those prayers. He is the one to whom all praise belongs. Now, every text has a context, and this text has a context. And if you're familiar with the life of David, you know that uh, 2 Samuel is the book of his reign, the book of his monarchy. And, uh, of course, you know there's a lot more about David than this chapter. This should be the pinnacle of David's story and David's life. But, unfortunately, David's story is clouded, and you don't have to turn very far. Just chapter 11. David and Bathsheba. David knew how to be grateful and he teaches us how to be grateful. But he fell himself from that same gratefulness before the throne of God. He fell. Now, in between these chapters are the great, great exploits of King David, his defeat of his enemies. They're amazing, absolutely amazing to read. But then you come to chapter 11, and all is well, and David's the victor. And God has blessed him, and he's excited about all that God has given. And he sends his mighty men out to war, and he stays home and sets the context for his adultery and his murder that would define all the rest of his years. The rebellion of Absalom, the uh, rebellion of his children, fleeing, the uh, difficult years of his life because he failed to persevere in gratitude. Now what's that to say? If David did that, a man after God's own heart, what are your chances? This could be a sermon exhorting you to do differently than David. It's 
reading, I think it was a By Faith article, forgive me, I was going to get the name, but I didn't, on prayer, cultivating a congregation of prayer, something very much on Dennis's heart, my heart, and I think the heart of many of you, that we would be a congregation known for our prayer life together. And it was interesting in that article, By Faith, he said, of all the people I queried about how to cultivate prayer in a congregation, no one suggested that we start with prayer. It was an interesting insight, wasn't it? It's kind of like asking a person their testimony. They already know you know about Jesus, so they're not going to particularly emphasize Jesus. They're just going to tell you their story. And here we are thinking about prayer and and how do we think about persevering and wrestling with God so that we might ever be a grateful people in both good and bad times? Well, we do it by seeking the Lord, praying, asking God to weave gratitude into all of our experience and out of that gratitude to manifest joy. Because if you come away from David's example thinking, I can do that, then you've missed the point. There is nothing in yourself that will enable you to hold on to that gratitude. Gratitude is kind of like a soap bubble. Think about it for a minute. It rises up and it's beautiful in all of its colors that it manifests in the sunlight and then it pops and it's gone. How many times has your spouse said something very sweet to you and you thank them for it only to become cross a moment later because of the ongoing conversation and the gratitude has evaporated. How many times have you praised your children and hoped they would learn through the good example that they themselves have set only to turn around and correct them for their mistakes? How quickly we move on from gratitude. It's our natural fallen bent. I've already thanked the Lord for that. It was just a word or two. No, that will not do. We must wrestle with God to know the very fabric of gratitude woven into all of our prayers, into all of our thoughts, into all of our life, owning that it is God who has made us and it is God who has redeemed us. He deserves all the praise. And out of that garden bed, well-toiled, well-prepared, uh, will flower the joy that gratitude brings. That's not a cup half full. That is the life filled with the goodness of God and the heart to own it and to prize it and to live in the light of it. Very fitting that we come to the Lord's table on such a day as we think of the importance of gratitude because the Lord's table gives us a particular opportunity to be filled with thankfulness. And we would come and rejoice together in the Lord as we celebrate the supper together. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your holy word. And we thank you for the example of David and the prayers of David preserved for us that we might learn how to pray 
But above all, we have learned to seek you, that you might make us a grateful people, praising you for your wondrous work to us and to your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.